0: listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. Join authors Chad Lutsky and Jason Brandt as they delve into
1: writing and publishing The Dark Side of Fiction.
2: Hi there, Chad. Jason, how's it going? I'm doing okay because we just talked to Michael Brandt-Collings and it was a great interview. It really was. Landmark episode six it was it, he's a great guy uh, i've known him for quite a while not well but um we've always been kind of on the periphery of each other for years and years and years we started around the same time so it was great to finally connect with him and he gave us tons of good advice and ideas
1: yeah yeah for sure and and i I've, I've seen other I, w- I was just telling you a little bit that i had we have been facebook friends uh for a while but not communicating you know it's just how it goes you can have Tons and tons of Facebook friends, not even know your Facebook friends for years, and um, if if you have that amount, plus Facebook doesn't allow you to see more than uh, you know a dozen of them anyway mm-hmm. in your feed. So um, I have, would listen. There's a couple of podcasts I listen to regularly, like Mondo Method, um, Six Figure, uh, Creative Pen, uh, Writers Inc. Um, to, to name a few. Uh, Creator uh, Creator Dad. So shout out to all of those but and these are all writing podcasts. Um, but the, uh, I, I, he was on one of those and I think it was creative pen. And, um, the next day he sent me a, um, just a random message introducing himself saying, Hey, you know, we've been friends or whatever, but we've never talked, you know, and just, I thought that was really cool. And I was like, man, this is ironic. I just listened to you for like two hours talking to join a pen about all of this stuff. And, and it was really helpful. And, uh, Asked him on the show, and he said uh, that he knew you, so and that you guys had done some kind of uh, little crossover thing.
2: Did you see my wife just come in? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I heard, her, I heard her, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, oh, yeah, no, no worries. Super cool dude. So I think everybody's gonna like this, and yes. we kept our social media rant much smaller this time. So yes, yay. it was still there. It was still, still there. existent. Yeah, I'll we're going to have to have a we're
1: going to have to have a bumper I guess for <laughs> for that section I, of the show.
2: I think so. Uh, I did want to say I'm I've been saying before that I'm on this kind of YouTube journey right now and it's pushed my writing career down, but I'm hopefully getting to the point where I can start working on things again. And yes. that works out because I have lost my author website due to catastrophes uh, I probably could have cut off at the past but I didn't because I was being lazy. So I have to rebuild my author website. So I'm looking at hosts and, you know, Squarespace. I've done WordPress before I had it. My site was on Blogger when I first started. So I'm trying to figure all that stuff out. So if anybody has any advice, let me know. But I will probably be talking about this as I continue to screw everything up along the way until I get a new site built. And I'm gonna try to integrate my mailing list into it better and do different things. So opportunities, not obstacles. I'm viewing this as a, I can rebuild my website, make it better make it flow and easier for people to find what I'm trying to hawk and we'll see how it goes.
1: Nice. Yeah. That's a, what a lot of work I would never, that would be really discouraging and it would probably take me a long time before I decided, okay, here we go. I'm going to make this website again.
2: You know, I haven't run out to start. (laughs) It went down a little over a week ago and I haven't done anything yet, but,
1: but I'm really glad to hear that, uh, you know, that you might have the opportunity to, um, Write again because this is all this stuff has got to be really encouraging.
2: It is. I leave after every one of these interviews, and I'm like, God, I got to get to writing. Yeah. And then I just go back to video editing right after.
1: (laughs) Go back to the beer and the Steven Seagal.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is depressing if you think about it.
1: (laughs) So, okay. um, Speaking of losing something, uh, last week I got an email from Amazon saying that they suspended my KDB account. What? and yeah, I uh, about panicked. So I, after I, you I,
2: changed I, your pants, what did you do?
1: Yeah, after I changed my pants and, and got out of the fetal <laughs> position, I I uh, what it was was a a couple weeks ago. My, my wife and I have no content books up. I don't know if you know what those are, but they yeah. are essentially books. The there. ones that we have are notebooks, and they have all original art. She's an artist. I'm an artist. Um and we have like a, a brand name and i have we have like 40 of those up there now hers are, are mostly watercolor stuff um she's done some pop culture things like frankenstein and the bride and dracula and creature like universal monsters um some japan i think she did a princess mononoke one and so we u- are using ips um but uh but using original artwork we get high quality scans and then i turn them into pdfs and then i use the manuscript for the the line notebook and they don't sell huge you know i do have amazon ads for them but they sell but unfortunately the one that the the ones that don't have the pop culture references like the the um like the flowers and the the kind of like girly type things or whatever the the pretty Mm -hmm. ones those don't sell as much as like say the Bride of Frankenstein or the Shining, or something like that. Actually, I actually have one right here of a this is, this isn't hers. this is a, a clockwork orange painting I did, and this is one of the notebooks. but okay, that's, that's what they look like if you're watching on the YouTube. Um, and I they're all, like I said, they're all like painting stuff. Um, but I decided to upload a new design, a graphic design, a of twin, uh, twin Peaks. And I had Laura Palmer, and I had the 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 uh, Black Lodge um, carpet with the red curtain and all that stuff, and it was like monochrome. It was my own design, and then I put Black Ledger as a play in words for Black Lodge. Uploaded it, got denied. Not only did it get denied, but it put, it put me on Amazon's radar for the rest of my stuff. Huh. So um, then they took down, uh, I think it was... They took down something else. Um, I, I can't remember if it was a musician or something. Um, but the uh, but I got the email like a week or so later saying that my account had been suspended because of the Twin Peaks one that I tried to put up. So I asked them, um, and they said to get your account unsuspended, you know, and, and working again, you got to follow these three steps. And the first step was to. Reply to the email stating, I confirm I confirm that I do not have any other stuff like this up and that I own every single right to everything um, and there's nothing there. And then the second is to go through and make sure that you don't. And the third was, I can't remember what the third was, but I couldn't even do the first one because I knew I probably had stuff up there and I didn't understand how IPs work because you see so much of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, t-shirts and just everything you can possibly think of, you can get um, an image on there that's somebody else's IP, whether it be Etsy or eBay or Amazon or, or, or just the sites dedicated to this. Now I know that places like Fright Rags have, you know, legal right to make, you know, Halloween shirts or or whatever, but um, most of these places don't. So I didn't, I figured as long as you're using I thought that as long as you're not using an image that's you know uh you know like someone else's artwork for example that it would that it would be okay and since these are are int- interpretations of these you know figures so I sent them an email and I said hey um I can't do this first thing and I and I spell it all out for him. I was like, I I I do have some stuff in there that might break your rules, so I just need access because I was locked out. I couldn't look at my bookshelf. Right, can't I could move anything. I could look at my report to see you know what my sales were, but I couldn't look at uh, you know in the dashboard. I couldn't look go to my bookshelf. And um, so they sent me an email back within the hour, the same exact email. If you want to get your you know and you've probably dealt with that before when you're dealing with Amazon they're not it's like they're not listening they yeah. they view uh, emails to them as almost their templates templates and then they just send you a template back with mm-hmm. with instructions and it's like you're not listening this is specific you know read the email so they did that and i sent another email back and i was like listen you know blah 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 and then they did the same thing and so I went through Amazon's website and I opened up like a ticket or whatever and I and I contacted them. And then within a couple of hours and, and I worded it differently. And I told them that I had gotten, you know, replied and whatever. Then they uh they sent the all they did was just reply with the same exact instructions. Oh, which which God. I couldn't do, you know. So I called or so I finally I was like, screw it, I'm gonna it felt like entrapment. Like they were just waiting for me to say, I can confirm I own the rights. And then once I said that, they'd be like, you know, oh, no, you don't. And now you're, right. now you just lost your whole account. Right. That's what it felt like I was being, you know, trapped into that. So finally I just said, um, yeah, I confirm that I own all the rights and um, I'm going to go in there and, and make sure that all my stuff is. So I sent the email, didn't hear anything back for a while. So I call Amazon, get on the phone with them. They, after explaining everything, they're like, Well, I, I can't help you with that. It's a different department. So I go to a different department and I'm talking to this woman, you know, and these people are, this is all outsourced. This woman's in her home. I can hear her kids or whatever in the background. <laughs> and she's looking into it and she's trying to help me. And I refresh the page and all of a sudden my, I can access my books now. And I was like, Oh, thank you so much. And I was like, Well, you know, she's like, Oh, you can get to it. And I was like, Yeah, what'd you do? And she's like, I, I just, I don't know. And started laughing and said, I just, refresh this thing and I could, couldn't could hear her, her audio wasn't very good, <laughs>
0: oh, not to geez. mention
1: her accent. So, uh, and then I realized once I got off the phone, she didn't do anything. Um, I got an email from from as a response while I was on the phone from the one guy saying, um, you know, because of the email that I sent saying, yes, I confirm, blah, blah, blah. So I started going through um, the things and I took all the pop culture ones down and then I just took them all down. Because in the meantime, between all of this, I'm watching videos on YouTube and and going to message boards and people are like, you know, you're screwed. You can't ever get uh, an account, another account and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm not making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month on here, but I am making a significant amount for me that helps pay our bills um, every, every, every year with book sales. I can't afford to all of a sudden, you know, just throw eight years of writing down the toilet because right. Amazon, and it scared the hell out of me because I'm exclusive, you know? So it started to make me worried about just thinking about, uh, you know, the importance of going wide and the importance of newsletters. And, and it's like, and I really feel for anybody who does lose an account. And I think that this is something that's Amazon is cracking down on right now, because lately, despite, Me going to some, um, uh, you know, things where I'm looking up on YouTube videos that pertain to my situation and what happens and what you can do. All of these new videos are popping up on my, you know, suggestions from YouTube, and they're not just suggestions, they're new, uh, videos from like some of them I'm subscribed to because they're getting this a lot, they're getting this asked a lot lately. So I think maybe Amazon is cracking down and going through some of the stuff and because there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff on there you can get with like with these notebooks where um, these no content things or or shirts or whatever from China and, and all this kind of stuff that
2: maybe are up there illegally. I don't know. So lesson learned, make sure you have the copyright to anything you upload. <laughs> I guess, but see,
1: I I have been through this before. I don't know if you saw my, I have t-shirts too. I have a, um, a, a red site and a T public site. And I have a lot of our artwork on there and I've got some, some, uh, book covers too, but uh, a lot of like the clockwork orange, I got a clockwork orange shirt that has the full painting on it. And I made a design. Um, I know you're probably not familiar with the band black flag, but maybe you're familiar with their logo, yeah. the four bars. Mm-hmm. Well, I made a, um, there's a ton of parodies of that, um, of that, uh, band of the, of the logo. Just all over. T-shirts, you can find them anywhere. But they're one of my favorite bands anyway. I've got the bars tattooed on, on my body. So I, I made a, a, a T-shirt with the bars, but within the bars is the shining carpet. And it says Jack Flag um, in the Black Flag font. And I put it up on Tee Public and the guitarist of Black Flag caught wind of it. And I know it was him because they, they, the email told me who, who had it taken down. Mm. and uh that dude had it taken down and i and i i i mean i know he's seen the 10 million other parodies of this logo and then so i got that taken down and then i but not before i, I bought a shirt for myself and then the worst one was when i put i have a book called the same deep water as you that's named after a cure song and i know I know a lot about rights as far as like lyrics and putting them in your book. I mean yeah, you can literally you can't <laughs> do copyright that. well you can't yeah, you can't do that, but you can't copyright uh song titles and movie titles. Right. Or a book title. I mean I can literally write a song called Steroid Heaven and and sell it or whatever. Yeah. Um so you I know that you can't do that. So my book is called The Same Deep Waters You, A Cure Song. I have the I paid for the artwork, I commissioned the artwork. So I put this I put this uh, T-shirt with the book cover up on was Redbubble or T Public, one of the two, and the people in charge of Cure merchandise had it taken down. And I was like, I complained to T Public. Um, I was like, Listen, this is a book cover for with original artwork that is that I own the rights to that I commissioned. Right. This is a book I wrote. You know, this is, I, I, I mean, it's a shirt that. I hundred percent own the rights to you know over, right. a, over a topic this isn't a but they wouldn't put it back up because i'm I'm fighting the man, you know, so I don't
2: yeah, that's a fight you could definitely win if you were willing to get a lawyer to send them a sure. desist. Or, but is that going to be worth your time and money yeah but
1: there's no the only thing I could think of is in the keywords I have stuff like you know the cure,
2: you know yeah that probably doesn't up your case <laughs> no, but eh, i I guess not,
1: but it it did it did piss me off because it's like if. This manufacturing company or this this uh, merchandising company, who's in charge of, they were also in charge of the Rolling Stones and Justin Bieber, the, all their merch. If they paid any attention to the band, they realize this is not. Uh, they they don't have a leg to stand on. I can do anything I want with this, with a song title, right? But yeah, so that's my long winded story about uh, having a just about having a panic attack and and going through um, a really tough time that that. It was about a, a day and a half, I guess, of what am I going to do?
2: So I lost my website and you almost lost your career. It's quite a week yes, for us. <laughs> Yes, oh, scary oh, stuff. Amazing. So
1: you got to be careful, man. We, on KDP, I know that they don't. And you are at the mercy of whoever answers the phone or whoever answers your email. This doesn't go through some kind of like screening thing. If somebody's having a bad day and you're rude to them, they can ruin your life. Yep. That's, that's what I've been hearing for right. years, just like just like uh, if you want to, you know, go wide and you want to have a perma-free book on Amazon and you've got to ask for permission, they don't have to do it. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, kind of kissing their butt while you're doing it, they're
2: just going to say no. So, be careful. The system can be tough. I'll save this story for another time, but somebody stole my books and just uploaded them to Amazon and it was a hard fight for me to prove that they were my books. And really? that was taken down. Yeah. It was a total pain in the ass, so you have to tell that. I will another tell time. This intro is getting long, but yes. uh, it was something. So even though uh, we had a rough week, we had a great interview with NBC.
1: Michael Brent Collins, uh, he's an American horror novelist. He wrote the screenplays for two horror films, Barricade and Dark Room. He has self-published many novels, with two of those being finalists for Bram Stoker Award in 2016, and two being finalists for the Whitney Awards in 2014 and 2017. I know he's been finalist for other stuff ton of books a lot of them in series a multitude of genres um and there's probably more to his uh his his bio so michael brent forgive me if i didn't add some stuff in there you wished i would have said but uh great author great guy we had a good time with him and he schooled us on some some stuff like they like a lot of our guests do well all of our guests do
2: yeah absolutely uh it was a good time so i hope everybody enjoys it yep
0: Get a lot written
2: today? Yes.
1: Michael Brent Collings, you're here with us today. Thanks for coming. It's good to, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit on Facebook. Don't really know each other. It's good to, I, I've watched, you know, interviews with you. I just read uh, Malignant, your new book, which oh. is what I wanted to talk about first. Um, okay. I really liked it a lot. I, I, I liked everything about it. <laughs> I even, and I know maybe not everyone does, I even wholeheartedly agreed with every bit of the author notes at the end.
0: Oh, that is a rarity, uh, actually. I, you
1: and I share um, the same view on that. So uh, that, was, that was nice to see. But um, the story itself, yeah, I thought it was great. And Thank I, you. I think just like with everybody else, I probably thought, oh, man, is this... Is this what I think it is? Is this like a, a school shooting book? And then it's way more than that. Um, yeah, definitely. But it's really dark too. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's. It, there were times that it felt gratuitous, but not not done to. A, how, how do I how do I say this? Um, not to a point where, I mean, it was necessary. All of the mm-hmm. the stuff that in there that was like hardcore gore. Yeah. It was ne- it was necessary, I thought. Yeah. And uh, in for that, and for just you uh, daring to write something that is probably controversial, just by the simple fact that it takes place in in, in a school, and that you have people dying that no- normally don't die in in mm-hmm. books, um, I enjoy that. And so I knew when I'm reading a book like that or, or watching a film, and I see right away that the creator of this, um, you know, whatever it is I'm watching or reading is going there, then I kind of feel at ease because I know that, um, there's going to be no predictability about it and anything goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice when it is nice. I was just watching like a little, I think I posted about it on Facebook or something. I was watching this little, um i think it was from chile like it was a south american film and you could tell they did it for like a dollar and a half like the entire Mm -hmm. catering everything was what it cost to ride the bus you know and and it was funny because they did a couple things and you're like oh well that happened you know because they're not sort of things that you would typically see in a theater now where You know, certain people, certain groups are sacrosanct. You can't murder the orphan kid, you know, and stuff like that. And so when you do see something like that where it happens, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, well, I guess I genuinely don't know where we're going from here. Um, It's a little scary in a way because you're like, because everybody, you know, as much as we joke about triggers and stuff, like everybody has those areas that are that are either like sacred to them or important to them or just are tender, and hurt, you know, and so whenever you're faced with a movie or a book like that, it is kind of like, oh, I hope they don't hit one of those spots on me. But but you're right. It is kind of delightful just to see somebody willing to say, OK, we're going to go outside of what the typical is and try and, you know, maybe not beat a new path, but at least kind of explore a couple of trees that no one's been looking at recently.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when the, the day and age that we live in now, when everybody with their art seems to be uh, in the position where they have to walk on eggshells and um you know hollywood definitely is not going to touch uh anything that is not pc the that's for the indie films you know and um a lot of writers are like that too and so Mm -hmm. to me it's always refreshing or even uh comedian you know it's always refreshing where where they don't back down from that and and you know uh yeah i like that because i don't want to live in this uh i don't want to live in this like uh cushioned cloudy world where
0: yeah it's nice to see something that isn't paint by numbers and like i think that artists i believe we have a responsibility for our end product you know like i always laugh when i it when i'm talking to a writer or i'm at a comic con or something and they're like i don't think about my audience i just let the muse take me and i think it's hilarious because like in any other any other field of endeavor there'd be a job title for that person and it's Sociopath, like they're going to do whatever they want to, regardless of how it impacts other people. So, I think it's important when we're creating stuff. Um, and I don't view myself as like an artiste, but like I'm a guy telling stories, and I think it's important that as I tell them, I do at least have an eye for what's going to be the end result. You know, you were talking about like the violence and stuff in Malignant. Um, And I struggled with that a lot because at its core, you know, it's not a happy story. It's a story about some very bad things that really do happen in our world. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of faced with the question of, do I, you know, dumb it down a little bit? Do I kind of make it milder so it's more approachable? Or do I just really kind of try and emphasize the horror of this story? Which is, you know, it's telling a story that's very, it's, it's a morality play. You know, Mm -hmm. and whenever you, whenever you kind of sanitize morality plays, you sanitize the point you're trying to make, you make it less powerful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You just completely sold me on this book. So I have to, (laughs) have to go buy this now. (laughs) I like when people kill sacred cows. So,
0: oh yeah. Well, I, this was one of the first ones where I did, I paid lip service to it because again, like I don't want to hurt people's feelings. My endeavor, I know people who are like, I'm going to essentially punch people in the groin of their brain if i have the chance you know like i'm gonna come out of the dark kick them in the nuts and run away laughing maniacally and like that's not my purpose i'd rather you go into a well-lit alley with a sign that says nut kicking here and like you choose to do it um so at the beginning of the book I warn people this is going to be a really aggressive story and there's some dangerous stuff that happens and yeah kids are not just killed they're harmed you know in the story and a lot of the people like Chad was talking about that just are off limits in a lot of literature and art I in the first couple of pages made sure the audience understood that no one's off limits because it's a story about violence that's being done in our society and so to say well i'm going to tell a story about violence but i'm not going to go too far that that seemed to just kind of cut the legs out from under it before i even started
2: mm-hmm. sure i, I see uh, you have a would... a shitload of reviews on this on amazon has this been your <laughs> best book launch
0: oh no no i mean no? They, well I don't know. It's it's still only a couple of months old. And that's the nice thing about indie books is like they have a shelf life. You know, if you're going to do traditional publishing, you got to make all those sales in the first six months. Um, but then you've got as an indie, you have a little more flexibility. Oh, I'm going to really push this book. Like I had a book that I wrote seven years ago called Strangers, maybe eight years ago. And six years later, I was like, Hey, there's a sequel there. And I put it out and I didn't expect it to do anything and only did, the sequel do incredibly well the original book went back on the bestseller lists um so as far as like is it my best launch within the first month or two probably because i've kind of consistently gotten bigger each time which is really nice um but i don't know if i could say it's my most successful overall or what because there's an it's hard to get a timeline when you're dealing with not the first six months but just like how can I make money with one of my titles today? Which is much more in your field, in your court when you're when you're the boss of the whole process. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I just saw four hundred and fifty some reviews. That's <clears throat> significant, particularly for a book that's not in a series nowadays. It feels like everything that blows up is a part of some kind of a series. So it's yeah, it's a nice launch. Yeah. Do you typically write in series standalones? Because you and I did a crossover yeah. years and years and years ago when which you were writing. Fun. The colony. The colony. I think? Yeah.
0: yeah, dude, you're a rock star. You even remember that stuff. Um, uh, or yeah, I and... looked it up right before we. Uh... No, <laughs> you sure. remember it because you're that smart of a guy. That's, That's the true. gun I'm sticking to. Um, no, I I like series sort of. But the problem with a series, it's like, you know, everyone complains about being in quarantine and lockdown and how hard it was. But as an author, you're like, I'm going to write a series. It's like intentional freaking quarantine with the same people only instead of for a month or two, you're stuck together for years and years. And like that's really hard for me. So I do have some series, like I did the Colony, and that was really successful. And I had a fantasy series called The Sword Chronicles that did well. And I'm, I've got this stranger, this series called I Am Legion that starts with Strangers. Um, but those are oddly kind of the exception. I have way more books that are just standalone, and and that's just more fun for me. And I know, like, it does. Like you're correct. You know the the kind of typical thinking now is series is where it's at. And I definitely see that because, you know, the I am Legion books, that's the one I get the most fan mail. Like, when are you going to do the next one? But I have to always weigh making a buck on this series. That's a more sure thing and my longevity, because if I'm just going to keep cranking out stuff that I hate, you know, like that's hard and it's not fun or uplifting or enjoyable for me. Like I don't see myself being here in 10 more years if it just becomes this drudge work. I mean, there's easier ways to make a buck. <laughs>
2: it's true. And speaking of, I mean, you've had ups and downs like everybody yeah. is this where you're at now feels like a your highest peak, I would say, even though um, like when you reached out to me, you were doing pretty well. That was towards the beginning of the whole, Kindle was it? Red right around Kindle Unlimited? I think it was before Kindle Unlimited. Oh, it
0: was before that. We've been we've known each other for like I'd say it's probably seven eight years now. Um,
2: and the you're one of the guys that uh, I talked to very early on who is still here. A lot of mm-hmm. uh, the old folkies like us, once <laughs> Kindle Unlimited came and Facebook changes and Amazon changes, people have just dropped off. Um, yeah, you have managed to kind of ride the roller coaster. How have you done that? Do you have any particular... Is it, a, is it a mental thing you've got? Is it just nose to the grindstone?
0: It's a lot of things. I think, like, you know, people always come up... And I'm sure you guys have had this because you're both really talented and successful authors, too. And you you have somebody come up and say, like, <laughs> I like you guys. You Serious. I've read both of your stuff and it's fun and i like it so like you've got to have had people come up and go what's your secret and i don't know about you but i always feel kind of like punching that person like they they think i wintered it down to this one single thing that i do every day for a minute or two of really hard work and then i go put my feet up and relax you know it's like a billion different things um and yeah a lot of it's hard work Uh, part of it's just like i'm my own boss who am i gonna quit to like i could walk up and say i'm quitting but i just talking to myself in the end. Um, And part of it is definitely that, like, I've had those ups and downs, like you were talking about, Jason. And at one point, I was even going to quit. And I announced it, you know, to like the six people I figured still cared. Um, I'm like, I'm quitting. And it wasn't a, you know, I wasn't pulling out my violin and my sob story. I was just like, I can't do this, because I'm not supporting my family. And that's my priority. And I made the announcement and like 10 or 15 minutes later, I had several emails and texts from big name authors um, who basically said, saw your posting, not okay. What do we have to do to keep you in the game? And I was really struck. It hadn't occurred to me. um, None of them, by the way, were like, you are a literary bivouac of light, truth, and knowledge. We must keep you. You know they were just like you're a cool guy and we like you around so how do we make that happen um and i was really struck by how much just kind of the manner that you work as a business matters you know i'm i'm trying to help people constantly um and you know mentoring people when i have the opportunity or if i'm at a con or something like that and people come up i'm going to talk to them as long as i have time um and i hadn't realized that that had earned me friends which is a real important thing A really important thing to have in a business as difficult as this. Um, You know, there's a lot of businesses that are difficult, but most kind of traditional jobs have sort of a framework where you can find a support group. You know, there's the whole organizational framework of the business that you work for, the corporation or whatever. There's the people you work with, your water cooler friends. And as an author, especially in indie, it's just you and your computer staring at you Um, and sort of this faceless mass of people. So having all these folks reach out, I realized what a tremendous impact it had on my career just to kind of try and be cool to people. Um, And we were all talking about that before we started recording, just how hard it is to find people now who are just willing to be nice. Um, And so that's been a really big thing. I wouldn't have said it, you know, five years ago, six years ago, what's the secret to your success? Just trying to be cool. Um, But that's a tremendously impactful thing because you can't decide to be like the best writer or the smartest person or the best marketer or any of that. You don't have control over that because there's always somebody better. Um, but you can definitely say, I'm going to walk into this room or into this interaction and be the most professional and nicest person here. And And people more and more, they really need that. They gravitate to it because so many things are just so fraught with upset. If you give them the sense like, oh, this guy's not going to punch me. Even if I say something he disagrees with, he's probably not going to scream at me like people are just so happy to find that um, that they support that in other areas. You know, it was almost like these authors that were reaching out. They're like, look, you're okay as a writer, but as a guy, you're a really cool person and we like your kids. So how do we keep this whole thing working?
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. So your answer is be nice. That's funny, because when people ask me the secret to longevity, I say alcohol. Yours is
0: That so Seems like a better answer. <laughs> there's, there's this. My wife or my uh, daughter comes up. She's like, Dad, stop drinking diet coke because it's bad for you. And I'm like, Well, I'm an author, so it's either that or alcohol or hard drugs. So like, let's let's stick with the diet. <laughs> it's <Coke."> compromise. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh. truth in that, man. There's you know you need stress relief somehow. <laughs> but yeah, the, that, that's
1: why I drink. The, 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 <laughs> The being nice thing, I mean, that has legs for sure, because um, I, I know that a lot of uh, just on social media, and we'll use Twitter as an example, um, you can see uh, the people, including publishers, small press publishers, who are losing uh, m- potentially half of their readership just by, you know, bitching about this and or, or this. Um, yeah you know in in if somebody's going to not read somebody because of their political political stance I I don't agree with that but there are a lot of people who do that and so you're going to lose that too if you start you know ranting about uh, about this or just um the negativity that that people tend to just simple complaining um yeah i know there yeah. are some people on twitter it's just it's just you, they're consistently uh, complaining oh, about something. And it, it, it may not have anything <laughs> to do with uh, you know, anything political or anything like that. It's just your energy is just I, I don't like it. And then you they have like this, I guess would be what would be maybe a negative somatic marker where they where they just when you see that person's name, you're instantly just kind of like, ugh, you know, so yeah. <laughs> we all we all want to be around that person who and these these people actually make me uh they make me feel like uh i need to they make me want to never complain about anything at all because yeah. of how ugly it looks and it's like man that really i know that there's a bunch of silent people behind their keyboards that that are 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 way too mature to say anything that are just shaking their heads and going dude you you should probably shut up and and right just <laughs> get back to writing or you know <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's yeah, me, it's,
0: by the way. It, <laughs> no, like shut up and you've get back to You've monetized it. You've monetized your. You've monetized your negative attitude, Jason. So we're all behind <laughs> that. Um, no, it's true though. It's like, and it cracks me up. How many times the loudest complainers are people who like you? Step back and go. Your life is pretty good. And it would be one thing if they were complaining constantly, like, "Oh, there's too many children being blown up by landmines," you know, like okay, that is a legitimate, horrible thing. And yeah. let's talk about it. But so many of the time, the biggest complainer, like I'm sitting here in my $20 million yacht and I'm going to bitch about everything because my life is capital S capital H so hard. And, and you just kind of sit there and go really? Cause like, you're not in government assistance. You, know? <laughs> you don't, you're not wondering where your next meal is coming from. And, I think that's part of the problem is that there's this disconnect between the actual injury. Cause I think people are injured, you know, like life is difficult and everybody's life is the hardest thing that's ever happened to that person for real, you know? So like their bar for difficulty is the hardest thing that happened to me. And so it makes sense that they'll get upset about it, but there's this disconnect I think about the actual harm that's been done to me and my reaction, you know, you were talking about like not reading people because of their political views. Not only is that sometimes it's not an overreaction, but even if, if it isn't an overreaction, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's like, he kicked me in the shin. So I'm going to torch his car. Like there's no relationship (laughs) between the car and the, and the shin kicking. So I think people are like, rather than sitting down and saying there's a problem and we have to address because there are problems. And I don't want to say like, life is perfect because it ain't. But rather than sit down and go, here's the problem, here's the harm it's causing, how can we fix that? It's like somebody goes in, and whether it is I stubbed my toe, I lost my keys, thermonuclear war in the Ukraine, they have exactly the same number of exclamation points at the end of their Twitter observation. And so it's really hard to dial in on like what's really important now. I mean, the more people scream, the more it is to hear the actual important points in between all the noise. And it's just this self propagating issue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, now that we have our obligatory social media rant for the show <laughs> out of the way, yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. Every episode, <laughs> I wanted to ask you a little more um, business oriented questions. Are you entirely in KU?
0: Um, I think so. Like, I think I might have one or two books that aren't, but I'm almost all in KU right now. I wasn't until, uh, until COVID started. Uh, and then we moved to KU and that was largely like, we didn't have any kind of a metric that was telling us my family. When I say us, it's always my family. Cause my wife is the person who's smart in our family, you know? Um, so we didn't have like a metric that was like, go to KU and you're going to make more money. We just, everybody was losing their jobs and nobody had money. And no one knew what was going to happen next, so my whole family, including the kids, sat down and were like, "What can we do to help um, and so we put all my books on sale for ninety nine cents and we put everything in k u just because we figured that way more people could read stuff cheaply um, and you guys know how amazon's like royalties breakdown happens so by moving from four ninety nine to ninety nine cents we were taking a ninety percent hit on royalties per unit. Um, and we figured we could keep that up for like a week or two, because that's a big chunk, you know, and then after that, you worry about paying for food and shelter. Um, but again, the nice thing worked out. We didn't plan it, but it, the, the uh, sale went on for a year and a half because people were just so gobsmacked by this person who was like out there trying to help rather than just scream and yell. I was like, this is what I can do. And it's not a lot. I'm the first to recognize putting my books on sale is not like I went out and Mother Teresa'd everything, you know? But I did a little piece and I, without really any kind of hope that it would come back, because again, we were, (laughs) when it started, we were making plans like, how can we make this work and still pay rent next month, kind of thing. Um, And, but it did, it all came back a hundredfold. And, and it was this really nice difference. And I, as hard as the internet is, as hard as social media is, you know, as hard as all these things really are, that creates a really good space for people who are willing to stand out there and just be nice to other people. You know, you you become an endangered species. It's like, oh, that's the cool author who's not going to scream and yell during a panel at a Comic-Con. Let's invite him back, you know. Oh, that's the cool guy whose Facebook page is not doom and gloom. It's like, you know it's reasonably fun and he talks about his kids and his wife like he actually likes them so that's just an extra place to hang out
2: (laughs) did you uh did you get any pushback from your readers at barnes and noble or kobo or
0: a little bit but again it was i i I let him know what was happening Uh, and i told everybody i said we're planning on doing this don't know how long it'll be but it's because we're trying to let other people read it for less expensively and we actually got hundreds and hundreds of emails like that day just saying awesome and some were barnes and noble and kobo people and they're like we can't do that but go for it you know um so the pushback was really a hundred percent positive and even now we've left it in ku um and we might be transitioning some back to white again we're kind of discussing that um, but even now, the Kobo people and the, Bar- the Barnes and Noble people and all that, like I try and work with them. If there's somebody out there who's dying because of a lack of a book, I'll point into I'll be like, oh, Jason's wide. do you know Jason Brant or have you read chat? You know, like I pointed to other people who are in their wheelhouse. I can't like hand out free books to everybody who asks just because they have a Kobo reader. Um, mostly because if I do that, I know I'll have 10,000 emails the next day being like, I'm poor also. And I just can't help the whole universe. You kind of have to pick your battles. Um, but most of the people who can't read my books right now, they've understood the process. And again, if they reach out and email me, I do my best to respond and say, well, here's alternatives. Cause that's the nice thing is the world is full of awesome stories. It's not like any of us has a lock on it.
1: Sure. In, in regard to going from uh, exclusive to wide, do you have any tips that you could give someone who is doing it for the first time and they're, they're, they're not finding... Okay, I'm that person. I need to know. Um, <laughs> what... I have a friend. I re... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I recently, uh, I think last year, and I spent, uh, at the end of the year, I spent several months um, going wide didn't sell anything, you know? Yeah. Um, and so ultimately I probably lost some money. And then recently I went back, uh, exclusive again. Um, I, I know that, you know, some people swear by it, of course, some people swear by, um, either, either route, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find anything that was helping me, you know, despite letting my newsletter know, which is tiny, you know, a thousand Mm -hmm. or so people. And, uh you know just announcing it on because i do once in a while get emails you know where else can i get your book because i will not buy from amazon mm-hmm. um but yeah is there something some kind of tip or trick that where you can start to get traction on some of these places Uh like yeah you know, that's, Barnes yeah, and that's
0: a, a really good question And i think a lot of it comes down to like you know how you get the word out which sounds obvious but a lot of people don't think about it they're like i'm going to put my books up everywhere and since they're available everywhere people will find them but whether you're in barnes and noble or kobo or you know ibooks or amazon you're still talking about you just tossed your drop of water into the ocean you know it's not gonna,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not going to create a discernible ripple so you have to be the weirdo on the shore dragging people over being like watch what's about to happen Bloop. you know like your mm-hmm. drop goes in um, but if you can get that first kind of lift, um, then at least you've got a chance by being noticed by the algorithms that all of these different sellers utilize. You know, because at their core, all these algorithms are about, they notice and they push what makes money. Um, and so if you can show to the machines in charge of the universe now um, that you're going to add to the bottom line, then that makes the whole process much easier. And so, I see one thing that a lot of authors do is they like will put out their release and then letting people know about it is an afterthought or it seems very haphazard. So like the first thing that you want to do um, is go in there and make sure you do it in a coordinated sort of a way. Sorry, my my earphones about to lose juice here. Um, and that's really hard. I feel like authors, we feel like a lot of the time, well, I wrote the book and the rest God should just handle. Cause I did the hard work, you know, (laughs) and, and we sign off mentally at that point. But if you've written a whole book, you're probably like, there's almost a 90% chance you know how to read. So you can open up Google and find out marketing tips and sort of start to educate yourself. I love YouTube university is what I call it. Anytime I don't know how to fix my car or up my marketing, I can run to Mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, And so I think the big thing, like anyone who's shifting in any way, not just not just exclusive to wide or back but who's making any kind of a market shift the first thing you want to do is do some research so that when you approach the whole thing it's as a strategy rather than here's my drop fingers crossed let's hope what happens next is nice you know Mm -hmm. because again these aggregators or these um algorithms they all notice numbers and so you want to pack some numbers on and and the other thing to realize is you have to have skin in the game now like Jason and I were talking, we kind of started early and just by virtue of not sucking, we were like this elite group in Kindle because it was such it was such a haven for not very good writing for a while and, and still is to some extent, but there's a lot more quality there now. So if like you were out there and just were okay, people would probably notice at least a little bit. Um, now there's tons of okay stuff. And so you have to be willing to spend some money, um, which is scary. Because mm-hmm. you're taking an endeavor that most of us hope will result in us laying their spread eagle while someone dumps like ducats onto us. Um, and instead, you're starting the whole thing, giving money out. And that's, that's terrifying. But it's something you have to do more and more every day, you're going to have to put money in to get money out.
2: Put money in. How do you have any specifics that you do that? Sure.
0: On? Oh, yeah. Um, so first of all, Amazon ads, I think, are really important if you're running on Amazon um, because they have roomfuls of very smart people designing their mathematical decisions, you know, and it would boggle my mind to think that all of these smart people don't have something built in to notice that this author is selling $1,000 worth of books and taking 70% versus this author is selling a thousand dollars of worth of books taking 70 percent and then giving us 10 percent back in amazon ads you know people get really um kind of micro focused on things like their the return on investment the a cost the cost of sale and all these little numbers per book but i've noticed when i like move money away from amazon advertising it doesn't necessarily affect that book it affects all my books like there is a sway um so just being willing to have some money in there i think that matters you know whether you're like spending a million dollars or five bucks i think that's something amazon's numbers pick up on um that's one way to spend some money facebook uh is a very you know everybody hates facebook and everybody's right to in a lot of ways but everybody's still there you know like people still use it so that's a really good area to find people Um, I don't make tons of sales, I think, off of Facebook, uh, but I do have an awareness there. You know, people, it's like you see a Toyota commercial every day. You don't go out and buy a Toyota every day. But when the time comes, you're like, oh, yeah, what's that jingle that Toyota is doing right now? And you sing the little song and you go to the Toyota dealership, or at least you have them in consideration. And so that's another thing is when you're spending money, it's not always a one on one like I spent a dollar on you know advertising malignant the the book chad was talking about and i better get a dollar 20 in return or i can't keep doing this more i look at like i'm spending fifty dollars overall on this platform be it amazon or facebook um or any other platform Uh, you know all of them there's so many good reads you can do book bub has its own ads there's just tons of ad space open Um, And rather than say, I spent $5 on this book, and this book didn't go up $5, so I'm taking it off, I'll spend $5 on the book, and then look and see if my overall bottom line grew at all. Because that's a much better indicator for me of whether the ad's working. But that only works if you have a backlist, you know, and so that's a thing too, for a lot of new writers, they're like, what do I do marketing? What do I do marketing? And I say your best marketing is to write 10 books because no matter how good your marketing is, if you just don't have a good product or if your product is good, but not very deep, I only have one title. Um, you're going to have real hard time getting a foothold because in the day where you press a button and the book shows up, if you don't have a backlist, you know, they read your first book and they're like, this is amazing. And they look for book two and there isn't one. They're like, well, I'll find another author. And that author does have 30 books. And now like you know it's not about an individual sale it's about creating sort of this cult around your your readership around your books so you know people who are really getting excited and worried and concerned about marketing and they've got two titles I'm like you're you're trying to put the cart way before the horse here write 10 more books mm-hmm. and yes that's hard because everyone wants to come out of the gate and write Harry Potter but I'd rather have like a slow growth, sustainable, long term career than just sell a million books out of the out of the gate and never be able to repeat it.
2: Sure, and and your first book sucks too. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, don't dump yeah. money trying to advertise your first book.
0: It sucks. Oh yeah, and anybody like people point to folks who have written a first book that was amazing, um, but you look at them, and ninety nine percent of those people never wrote anything else good. Like that was their shot, you know the people that are the biggest names, they tend to have started a bit smaller and grown and grown because they're creating, instead of creating a sensation, which is kind of what social media and influencers tell us, we want to be the next sensation. You don't want to be a sensation. You want to be somebody who's tried and true and has a process and that people can count on. They're like, well, I can try this new author or I can go to Michael Brandt's book that I haven't read yet. And yeah, it's like eight years old. And that's not as cool. Like for some reason, we always want the brand new stuff. But, you know, I'm paying five bucks or two bucks or whatever, but I know he'll deliver X, you know, I would rather be as an artist, I'd rather be McDonald's than some person who just nails the most perfect steak ever created, and then can't do it again.
2: Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I'm curious about so obviously you're not too anal about ROI or any of the uh, individual metrics, but do you try no. to put a certain percentage of your revenue back into advertising or do you just try- go for a feel of what's kind of working and I'll put more money it's, there?
0: It, it's a little bit of each, like day to day. It's kind of a generalized, like I can tell my metrics are off. And if I look, yep, sure. I Something fell through the cracks or I didn't get this or I forgot to re-up that. Um, if I have a windfall and, you know, if you're a long-term writer, you're going to have dry spells. You're going to have, you know, months where your stomach's a little more empty and you're going to have months where you're like rolling in the dough and you're walking around going like this. Um, and whenever I have those windfall moments, like I make a big sale or something comes out that I wasn't expecting, I tend to immediately say, I'm going to take half of this and just partition it off i am not going to spend it tomorrow but half of it's definitely going back in the business because just having that mindset definitely allows me to say it's not all fun money you know and that's where a lot of people again like when you start making money as an author for a lot of us i made money right out the gate i wrote a book and i put it on kindle and it did really well and it was almost a disservice because i thought i knew what i was doing you know and that happens to a lot of authors we have a, a measure of success and we're like I got this, I'm an expert. And so we get lazy or we relax and don't put as much money in anymore. And I, so I never anymore assume things are going to be going well tomorrow. I'm always putting money away for a rainy day, either in my actual bank account or in the business account. So that I can always kind of mm-hmm. keep pushing forward on that stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I do the same thing. I, I, have I, t- yeah. I was gonna say, you had some questions. I, know. I did, yeah, I, yeah.
1: I have a two part question that I'm super curious about. Um, because you I, I see you as kind of like this rule breaker in this certain area. And I'm very curious about how it works for you. Um, so in the, in the world of self-publishing there, there's like it's just a ton of advice with different tips and tricks. Some people say to go wide, like we were talking about, or stay exclusive. Some push the importance of a newsletter. Um, uh, the, the list is long for that kind of stuff. But yeah. within that, advice is also the importance of create a pe- creating a pen name to write in other genres, in order for <laughs> Amazon's algorithms to work, you know, their magic properly. And yeah. while you do have a pen name for romance, because it's so far outside of everything else you do, everything else you've done, you know, in fantasy and sci-fi and YA and middle grade, and you are still writing under Michael Brent Collings. And so, yeah, you're kind of like breaking the. You know you're being a little rebellious there with that and i wonder (laughs) how that works uh how you know is that something that you are happy just you know or or do you happy with the decision that you made to do that or Mm -hmm. um and do you think it maybe saved you time with trying to you know create this other entity or tell us about that
0: so even the romance is not a pen name anymore like it has the name on the front but on the amazon page it's got my name as well right and at the end of the first book i'm like it's michael brent and the reason that i did that was (laughs) um i was Well, I was having these 40 year old women write to my pen name as like their bestie and bitching about like their husbands who are so awful. And I just felt terrible. I'm like, yes, women are the best, you know? And and I, I felt really disingenuous and weird. And I wasn't like trying to trick anybody. I wasn't putting myself out there to be like, I'll be the best woman friend you've ever known. It just started to happen. And I felt weird. You know, I didn't want to feel like I was lying to people, but I also didn't want to be like, well, First of all, let's just get this out of the way. I totally have a penis. So having said <laughs> that, and so I kind of had to ditch it eventually. And that's part of why I don't have pen names for my other stuff is it's just too hard. Like some people can do it. And that's an important thing to recognize is everybody's got strengths and limitations. And it is way more effective to work within your strengths than to try and fight against a limitation. So yeah, I could diversify and I could have a pen name or just go by Michael Brent as the you know kids books and MBC for young adult. There's all these things you can do um, but first of all, I got lucky because by the time this concern really hit, I already had a pretty diversified portfolio and people were used to it. you know it wasn't like all of a sudden you know independence, Stories answer to Stephen King started writing pop-up books, you know, it wasn't coming out of nowhere. Um, so I kind of already had a built-in audience. If I had to do it from scratch now, I probably would have a pen name, you know, even though it is difficult simply because of that concern. And man, you sh- the also bots on my Amazon page look like a madman is in charge of my account because there's like mm-hmm. hard horror and there's christian fiction and then there's like naked dudes you know like the cowboy doing this thing and, yeah yeah and like, wh- what's you look the cowboy doing it,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> look i don't want to help a thumbnail. as being a model <laughs> i'm going to pull this shirt open and you're just going to see that all of this pretense is hiding massive abs um <laughs> No, but it's funny, like it, it is a kick. My kids go to use my Kindle account too. So it makes it even worse because I've got like, you know, my, my first reader's stuff here. It's like magic Treehouse next to it and next to never been touched that way before, you know, or whatever dumb name is on there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a danger. It is. I kind of leapfrogged over it by just happening to come in at the end of that question I already had a big backlog and I have I have fans who are willing to read whatever I write. So I'm I have that, you know, freedom. But even then, if it goes too long without me writing a straight horror novel or, you know, one of the I am Legion series, I get irritated emails, Mm -hmm. Um, which is also funny because, like, I think it's totally cool to reach out and be like, hey, I love your I love your fantasy I can't wait for you to write more of that. That's I think that's awesome. But for people to reach out to a stranger and be like, you suck for not writing the thing that I particularly have on my vision board. I've always <laughs> thought that's like super bizarre. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. So you do feel like it, it has hindered the, the algorithms for your um, by having just the yeah.
0: Yeah, probably. And it and it definitely makes certain kind of statistical analysis different, because if you're you know, it's a lot easier to analyze your sales of tomatoes and lettuce and meat than it is to figure out how much lettuce sales are attributable to each Big Mac. You know, it's like it's Mm -hmm. harder when it's all mixed together. Um, And so it creates issues that way. But again, like I could that's one thing I could definitely 100 percent stand to improve in my business model. But you also then have to look at kind of the costs in time, the allocation of money and the mental distress. Cause I was, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as I joke about these women being like Angelica Hart's bestie, it was tremendously draining on me and it was making it hard to actually write. So like, I'd rather lose 10% of my income because Amazon is confused but have a 50% higher you know, output rate, I'm still gonna come out ahead. And you yeah. do have to always make those analyses. You have to have the numbers involved. You're, you know, People who are like, I'm just an artist. I'm like, well, enjoy continuing to be a barista because artists don't last long in any business. You can be an artist, but you also have to be a business person. And so you're always gonna have those statistics in mind. And But sometimes you have to just decide my quality of life is going to be so much lower if I follow this last dollar. <laughs> so I'd rather be happy and a dollar poorer. It's worth it. That's a valid choice.
1: I have wondered uh, regarding that because I've written under a, a very non-cryptic pen name, just using my initials and my same last name, um, which is, you know, nobody else has. So uh, it, it's a kind of a blessing for me um, so that when they see it, they know they know that it's me. But it's yeah. different than my typical stuff. And I was thinking of doing um, a series with that name. But then, uh, you know, other than just the one book I have under there, and I thought, is it worth my time? Um, I mean, it's already bad enough that a large fraction of the time that I spend writing is is marketing and just yeah. being present with in networking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So do I want to try and double that? And, and you know, like you, like you were saying, or, or will my, you know, I can have that time back um, and put it into more writing and, and have, a, you know, be more prolific and have a, a greater output and maybe it will even itself out. So, yeah, I
0: don't. And, and look, seriously, quality of life questions are critical. You know, there's, there's this idea that if I'm just successful, I'll be happy. But like you learn to be happy along the way, you don't just get a certain number in your bank account. And that's where I found joy all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're making these decisions based on this is going to make me unhappy, or this is just going to exhaust me emotionally and mentally, that's a legitimate thing to factor into your decisions. You know, um, I always kind of laugh when, If there's a doctor and the doctor stands up in front of his family and friends and says, I hate being a doctor. I found my bliss as a janitor for an elementary school. And everyone's like, hooray, you made a wise decision. You're amazing. What a cool person. But artists, for some reason, we feel like we can't stand up and say, I like to write, but I'm miserable with this lifestyle. So I'm going to go back to school and be a lawyer. Or I'm going to go drive pizza, which I have done, or whatever. Um, we view it as this total failure for some reason, but the door swings both ways. Like you have to look at your life and say, yeah, I like telling stories, but the storytelling lifestyle I find miserable and horrible. So for me, I'd rather have it as a hobby. And by the way, I think like if you have a job, that has you know medical coverage and dental coverage and allows you enough emotional and mental space to still tell stories like you're already pretty much winning that game Um, because you get to have the output and to do the stuff that you enjoy and find genuinely fun and as soon as it becomes a job like you guys know as soon as it becomes the thing you use to pay your rent a lot of the stress increases. And a lot of the joy is kind of drained away because I can't have a day where I'm just like, I'm not feeling it. You know, you have to be feeling it. You have to have some kind of an output. And I don't type every day. There's days that I am not as productive as like a typist, um, but I can't afford to just take time off and stop doing it because this is my job. And so if you've looked at your life and you're like, hey, I really like stories, but I'm also kind of happy coding computer programs and I'm making six figures that way. And I still get to tell stories on the weekend. Like don't be in too big of a hurry to shelve your job. It sounds like you're already pretty happy. And that's, that's really kind of the ultimate goal.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. As soon as something, as soon as your hobby becomes your job, it's not as fun. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of work. And then you're like, God, I have to do this instead of. man,
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 You wake up on you wake up on Saturday and you're like, oh, I can't get wait to get to the computer and type this story that's been driving me nuts all through the week where I had my grown up job, you know, and that goes away a lot as a professional. We wake up the same as every other job. You're like, oh, today again, you know, like I have to relive this whole universe <laughs> over and there's a lot of drudgery and it, be, it definitely by its nature it becomes less fun. And again, that's still, it doesn't mean it. like I'm not complaining. I still have a job that I love. I still have a job that's wonderful. And I view myself as incredibly blessed for being able to do it as long as I have and found the measure of success that I have. Um, So I don't want to be like one of these baseball players that's making 20 million a year and being like, but the game's no fun anymore. Like sucks to be you. Mm -hmm. Um, but you do have to genuinely recognize it changes the whole feel of it when you become a pro when you are when it's your livelihood you know it's like a hobby doesn't matter i can throw my hobby in the drawer you know i have lots of hobbies no one's ever gonna care that i suck at guitar which i enjoy but i'm not great at um but if i suck at my job it impacts my children and that that's scary and it does it puts so much more pressure and takes a lot of the fun away
2: Even the king of the world is a slave to the grind, as they say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chad, do you have anything else before I... No, no, yeah. You want to shoot the questions? So we ask this of everybody. Uh Uh-oh. I know, so don't screw up. (laughs) There have been some really good answers before. (laughs) (laughs) This is the compare and contrast portion of our podcast. That's right. (laughs) Of all the things you have done uh, to promote your stuff or maybe to be more productive or get your name out there, whatever it is, what do you feel was the biggest waste of time or had the worst ROI or however you want to phrase it? What would you not do again? What would you advise people not to do?
0: Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I have never been asked that question. That's fantastic. Um, I think you did say I'm smart. No, you, this is a great (laughs) question. Look, when I was dating on dates, I would (laughs) ask every girl the same question. I'd go, what do you want on your tombstone? And just measuring the people who are like, uh, and never got out of the deer in the headlights phase, I was like, you fail. So that in mind, wow. Um, Cause I want our <laughs> date to go well. Um, I think if I had to do one thing over and just kind of toss it away, it would be um, the idea of churning out stuff, you know, because like, like I say, I came out of the gates and I had a reasonably successful book. Um, it, I wrote this book called run that ended up being the number one science fiction and horror title on Amazon. I don't know how that happened to this day, but I thought it was awesome. And so now I'm a real writer. And then the next two books made zero money. And of course, now I'm in these financial stress areas that we just talked about. Like, I have to make money as an author because it's my job. And so I started just turning over books and some of them came out okay. Uh, Some of them are awful. Like I was reviewing a couple thinking I'd put them in an anthology and it was like that never sees the light of day again. Nope, that would ruin my career. Um, And so just being able to slow down, even though, you know, you do have this demon on your back, like kind of beating you going like, we have to eat, we have to have shelter, but you're not going to help that situation if you just turn out crappy stuff for the, for the sake of turning out crappy stuff. Um, So I would say one thing that definitely hasn't worked is Hurrying, there's always you know there's a point you always have to get to a point where you're like i could improve it nothing's ever done but you get to a place where it's good enough um and you have to get there but you don't have to race quite so fast there's always an extra day or two you know if nothing else where you can spend some time looking for extra typos or whatever so just just this idea that everything's a race i think i would i'd toss that out
1: it's hard it is hard to um to, you know, not do that because of there's this, um, uh, you know, like need to stay relevant because yeah. a book can come out and then within 60 days, it's, you know, you've got the cult of the new, everybody wants the, you know, new releases. And when that person has it, this person wants it and then they want to share their cool Instagram photos for that same book that has the cover they love. And then, you know, so if you want to stay relevant again, yeah, it can be, uh, or at least feel like you're staying relevant.
0: And that's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. We do a lot. I think we uh, writers, we make a lot of decisions that we call business decisions, but really they're just um, gratification choices. Yeah. You know, I'd rather get this thing now than put it off and do it a little less fun or a little slower or, you know, like we're all really excited. Look, I worked on this book. I really want to show everybody that's totally legit, Mm -hmm. but just back off for a day you know, cool down, let your brain recharge a little and look at it with some fresh eyes, that's going to make a difference. That's going to outweigh whatever detriment you get from waiting that little extra time.
2: All right. that that was a good answer. <laughs> that wasn't bad. Let's see how you do on this one. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the one thing you feel that you've done that has made the biggest impact?
0: I married the right person. Don't even have to think about that. Great answer. You yeah. You know, um, we, you can't do this by yourself. You need a support system. Um, and I got really lucky. I have, I'm very open about it. So I'm like not revealing anything deep and dark here. I have severe mental health problems, um, that really inhibit my ability to interact with reality sometimes. And so just having somebody is not just necessary as a writer, but like, I'd be dead in a ditch. If I didn't have her, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Um, and so you have to have that support system and obviously you can't have my wife, she's taken, uh, but you do need to find somebody who's in your corner and who loves you enough to encourage you when you're doing poorly, but loves you even more. And so will tell you, you are not doing it right. Like you have to have somebody who loves you and says, Mm -hmm. this sucks. You can do better. I've got one, uh,
1: 31 years now. nice
2: i can't tell you how many authors i've talked to who their significant other just not only doesn't support them but almost seems like a detriment to their career and i just can't imagine the stress that must cause
0: oh my goodness just like having to fight not only your inner demons because we all have them um and then the the realities of selling stuff but also being like well because i want to write and it's thursday you know like i can't imagine that
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, I, i can't either my my wife is the
1: type, yeah. Not only to help me with with the demons, but um, and just be there with for me unconditionally. But if I'm like, you know, my computer is just not up to par, and I need something that makes me feel more of a writer that looks like a typewriter, but it's really a word processor, and it's eight hundred dollars. And I know we only have two dollars, two hundred dollars in the bank, and we haven't paid mortgage yet. But um, well, that's our. Right. She she'd be the one that'd be like, well, let, let's get it anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah oh so yeah and that's but, you know critical it really is and too, if you're not married too, you too don't have fault. to be married necessarily but you got to have somebody in your corner you got to have people in your corner
2: you guys are making me look bad so i'll just say my wife's fine too she's okay <laughs> she's okay
0: <laughs> i've seen her on the videos man she's awesome
2: <laughs> she watches bad movies with me yeah. so she's, i'm a fan yeah that's there you go keeper. NBC, thank you so much man awesome job
0: Thank you, guys. Yes. This is so fun, and seriously, some questions I have never had before, which was a delight. <laughs> <All right>.
2: we <We're> what <laughs> pros, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, we we'll de- would we'll definitely love to have you on again. Um, I'd like to pick your brain more, maybe get into more details about advertising or your if, how you structure your stories. Whatever, yeah, you anytime. Want
0: to talk about. I'm here for you guys. This has been a blast, and I like you personally. So,
2: hey, I found someone. That's our-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you? Um. If, look, my first name is Michael Brent, and I'm the only Michael Brent in the world. So if you just Google Michael Brent, all one word, it's going to pick me up everywhere. Um, or you can go to my website, which is insomnia.com. Written insomnia, stories that keep you up all night.
2: <laughs> nice, man. I'll do it. Thanks so much.
0: <laughs> I got to have something when I can't do this. You know, like I got to have it all. <laughs> <laughs>